And if you could uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at a number of different scriptures today, but I want us to start in 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Um, Renee, do we have that on the, to put up on the screen? Would you stand, please, and we'll read this scripture? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Let's read this together out loud. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. This is the word of God. And so God, we ask now that you would uh, bless the reading and the teaching of your scriptures. This is your word. For it to do its work, Holy Spirit, we need you to do the work through the speaking and through the receiving. So now make the meditations of our hearts, our minds, our souls pleasing to you, our God, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. And you can be seated. This is week number four of a six-part sermon series that we have called Making a Difference. Each week, we're talking a little bit about the ways that as Christians, we are called to make a difference in the world, in our families, in our friendships, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. And more specifically, we're looking at what are those beliefs, those convictions that lead to how we make a difference in the world. We're a part of a larger church family called the Evangelical Covenant Church, and we share in common with churches around the world six affirmations, convictions, beliefs. So far, we have looked at the centrality of the Word of God, the necessity of the new birth, the whole mission of the church, and today we are going to be looking at the church as a fellowship of believers. The church as a fellowship of believers. Now, before we get into this and look at the, at the scriptures together, Carlos is going to come up and share with you a little bit about a trip he recently took to Colombia, where he had a chance to interact with church planters who are involved uh, in seeing the church grow and multiply in Colombia. The reason I've asked him to come and share is because it can sometimes be helpful for us to get out of our own context for just a minute to gain more clarity on what it means to be the church right where we are. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. Carlos, go ahead and come on up. Can you welcome him, please? Thank you so much. I'll try to be uh, quick. Um, so Pastor Peter and myself, we uh, traveled to Colombia, um, and I'm trying to say it right, spelled C-O-L-O, not Colombia. Um, and so um, we had a retreat there um, Friday, uh, actually Saturday, and we only stayed a couple days. Um, and so the audience was a group of church uh, pastors. Yeah, you see me up there. Uh, and so, uh, each table represented a group of church planners. Uh, they were in the process of planting churches that had just started uh, planting churches. And this is a group of uh, kids as well um, at one of the churches that we were able to visit. Um, one of the key things is that um, Pastor's, Pastor Peter's flight was canceled, and he was the speaker for the retreat. So I found out the night before that 
I was going to speak at the retreat. So it was a, a bit intimidating with the language barrier. Um, you know, you're speaking to a group of pastors and a group of people uh, in a, you know, a whole other world and culture. So um, praise God, um, the Lord used me. And one of the things that we discussed uh, was just the path of Jesus as he took a great example up until um, the Great Commission. And it was a great example of how Jesus was radically advancing the cause of Christ. Uh, one of the things that, um, as Pastor David talked about, um, the fellowship of believers, is that um, it, it was actually kind of easy to talk to a group of people because we were all sharing some of the same problems. And uh, one of the problems is uh, getting out of ourselves and practicing this. And, and, and part of the mission statement is something I shared. It's how do we radically advance the cause of Jesus? So in Medellin, uh, Colombia, um, one of the problems, and this is a group of um, college students that um, Julio and Katie, um, they are um, speaking to every Sunday evening. And some of them are believers, some of them are not. But they're planning on starting a church with uh, this group of college students. And so what the unique thing is, um, like, we can go to college here. It's fairly easy. You know, you apply, and even if you don't have the money, you can be in debt for life, but you can actually go. <laughs> but there, it's like one public school in a city of millions. And for one student to go, uh, of course, you can go to private school if you pay for it. One student, she had to be like one of the top test scores in the city to be able to go. So, you know, that's one thing to, to remember of, of how we're privileged. But anyway, but the, one of the things, um, being a kind of a strong Catholic country, is that it's hard to get this sense of reaching out to everybody. And so uh, one of the things that Pastor Peter spoke about was, like, how do you invite everybody to your church, whether they're on a different economic level, whether they're uh, dealing with uh, different issues or not? Uh, and Peter even went there, like, you know, the church there has a problem with homosexuals. And we were talking about how do you be open to everybody coming into your church, that the church is not a building, uh, the church is a group of body of people, and everybody should be welcome. And how do we frame ourselves as a group of body of believers to be welcoming to everybody? Um, one personal example is um, um, I have a coworker um, that uh, she got cancer, stomach cancer, earlier this year. And uh, a bunch of us have been going over there seeing her. And so um, um, I talked to her daughter, and I came over there last night, and she passed away last night. And um, so she's leaving behind uh, two young girls, one that's still in high school. But this notion of, like, how can I as a Christian get beyond myself and my family and my comfort level and be a friend to those that I walk past, be a friend to my coworkers, take time out of my busy schedule to be there for people. Like, the walls, how, how are we as a church 
allowing the walls or a framework of a church to be what, is, what it was at the beginning. It was a group of people who loved each other radically and then loved everybody else radically. How do we do that? And so that's something that we were discussing uh, in this church. And this young uh, pastor, that was his first commissioning service. Um, and they're in kind of a poor area outside of Medellin. But how do they, we were discussing that, how do they reach out to people on different economic levels, which is a big thing in Medellin? Like, how do they do, you know, get beyond tradition and support women? How do they get beyond the worship of the Virgin Mary? You know, how do they get beyond these traditions and, you know, get to that end goal, which is the Great Commission, to be able to reach out to everybody? And so this is just kind of an example of how what we're doing here can translate across the ocean, across the Gulf, uh, to a city, Medellin, in Colombia. So thank you. Thank you, Carlos, very much. Uh, join me in praying for the church in Colombia and also for uh, the, uh, the co-worker who Carlos mentioned. God, we thank you for our family around the world. We thank you that when we gather here to sing, to worship, we're not doing anything innovative. We're just joining your people across the centuries and across the world um, who have given themselves to you. So we pray for this church in Colombia. We pray that you would give them everything that they need for what you've called them to. We pray that you would encourage them and protect them. We pray that they would continue to wrestle with these kind of all-encompassing questions about how, how do we live and love and worship so that there are no barriers to people encountering Jesus. Allow us to wrestle with those same questions, please. But we pray now for this co-worker of Carlos and, and, and this family. We pray that your peace would rest with them. We pray that you would use Carlos and others um, to demonstrate in powerful ways your love, your compassion, your mercy, your presence. We thank you for this relationship. We thank you for calling him to it. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope it's helpful to hear these stories and to see these pictures and to realize that we, we are a part of something bigger. The, the, the questions that you and I wrestle with, the things we wonder about, the things that keep us up at night are also the things that other people around the world care about. I want to start this morning by asking this. Why are you here today? Again, the topic is the church as a fellowship of believers. Why are you here in this building today? You could be somewhere else. Especially those of you who are fathers, right? Like, you could be sleeping in on Father's Day. But you're here. Why are you here today? And I don't want this to be rhetorical. I actually want to hear. So we're going to take two minutes and just turn around like to three, four, six people near you and answer that question. Why are you here? If you don't know the people, introduce yourself at least. Get their name. And tell, tell each other, this is why I'm here today. Okay? Go. you got two minutes. Quick, move around. Turn. Find some people to talk to.
All right, your two minutes are up. So let's, uh, let's hear what some of the, let's, let's do a quick poll. What are some of the answers that, that you heard in your group? And you don't have, like, if you're, you don't have to claim them for, your, for yourself. You could say, well, somebody is here because, you know, if that, makes, if that makes you feel better, all right? So why are you here today? Let's just hear from a few people. Because you were scheduled. Derek was on the setup schedule today. Love the honesty. Love the honesty. What else? Because it is traditionally ingrained in you. Okay, good. Keeping it real. What else? Yes. To fellowship with believers. Yes. To stay on track. Somebody. I don't know who would come up with. Somebody. To stay on track. It's good. What else? To worship and gain strength from other believers. Good. Anybody else? Yeah. Sometimes I find it hard to time to I find it hard to take time to thank God at home. So this is a time I can do that. Yes. To get more knowledge of Christ and to see friends. Yep. The community aspect. Anybody else? These are good. I was thinking about this question. Uh, as, a, as a, I mean, you, you won't be surprised to know as a pastor, I think about this. Question. Why do people come to church? Like, it's an interesting question to me. I think about this a lot. Why are we here today? Why are you here today? And as I can tell, there's, there's two sort of general a, a themes that most of our answers would, would fall underneath. And the first one is this. I'm here to receive. I, I, I come to service, to church. I'm in church to receive. And, and that to me is very understandable. That makes a whole lot of sense to me. Because we do receive. When we're in church, we receive truth, encouragement, hope. And on and on, right? There are things that we receive. We walk away and we oftentimes we talk about what we got out of the service. Uh, I, I remember when, when uh, Maggie and I were very, very first starting to date and um, um, we were in a, a, a service together and what I received was conviction. I realized I'm not treating this beautiful young woman the way I should be. There, there, are, there, are, there are ways that I ought to be treating her and loving her and caring for her that I'm not doing. And so after the service, under conviction, I apologized to her. I, that, I got something. Would you agree? I received. It was not what I wanted to get. It wasn't what I was looking for, but I received conviction. We receive certain things uh, through church. And I get that. But, but on, the, on the other hand, we treat church primarily as a place to receive. When that's our starting point, we will ultimately be left exhausted and disappointed. When we, when we treat church primarily as a place to receive, to get, we will ultimately be let down, we'll be exhausted, we'll be disappointed. Here's what I mean. If church is about what we get, 
then we, as the church, must always work very hard to make sure that people are getting something. We must work very hard to make sure once people are coming to church, they continue to get something. If church is primarily about what we get, then if you don't get something, that's a problem. And so we hear things like, well, I just didn't get anything out of the service today. I know you've never said that, but have you heard anybody ever say something like that? I read a book last year written by two megachurch pastors out in California, and, and their church just exploded, and they were, they were doing everything right. They had the most amazing worship team in their city. Uh, uh, they had, like, all the, the most uh, uh, um, high-tech technology, video screens. They did these really creative dramas and skits. They, they just did everything that they could to get people to come so that people would receive something, get something. And it worked. It worked great. They grew like crazy. Tons of services, tons of people coming. And after a few years, they say in this book, these two pastors who started it, they looked at each other and they said, we are about to die. We can't keep this up. They said in this this book, what they realized is that when church is primarily about what people get, we always have to give more. The music's always got to be a little better. The preaching's always got to be just a little bit, you know, edgier or more relevant. The technology always has to be top-notch. Can't make any mistakes. You got to be really creative in your advertising and your outreach. There's always more that has to be done. Anybody tracking with me this morning? Brent is in the back. And these two men who seem to be experiencing tons of success in ministry, they said, if we keep going like this, we will die. We're not really feeding people. We're attracting them. And then we're doing our best to keep them. But they're being let down and they're leaving. They're walking out the back door. Um... Why should you care about this? This seems like maybe too much church talk. (laughs) Like, I think about these things, right? But you don't have to. Which is good. We don't need any more people thinking about these sorts of things. It would be a very boring world if this is what we talked about all the time. But here's why this matters. This matters because it's not limited to church. It's, it's not just about what happens here. The desire to get, the desire to receive is deeply ingrained in us. As is the tendency to leave when we don't receive what we want. This is deeply ingrained into us as humans, but I think especially as American people. We're used to getting what we want, when we want it, how we want it. Would, Right? So this isn't just about the church. This is about how you and I have been formed as human beings. I was sharing recently my conviction with a, with a couple of friends, uh, uh, younger friends, about um, the fact that you need to wait at least three years before you make any real judgment about a new place that you have moved about a new job that you are in, about a new neighborhood that you live in. you got to wait at least three years. Because anything before three years, you, you don't really know what you're talking about. We think we know what we're talking about. 
but we don't really know what we're talking about. This is my experience. And uh, these, these two friends, they, they were nodding. Yeah, that makes sense. And then they both kind of stopped, and you could see them thinking. And one of them said, I, I don't think I've really ever stayed anywhere longer than two years. So my whole life has kind of been trying things, being with somebody, being somewhere for a season, and then I, I move on. I get that. I think that's normal. That's in many ways, how most of us live. The very first marriage that I ever performed, wedding ceremony, about 10 years ago, ended in divorce less than a year later. And there wasn't anything spectacular about it. There wasn't any massive thing that happened or dramatic sin. They just came to the conclusion that they weren't getting from each other what they had thought they were going to get. They weren't receiving in this marriage, in this relationship, what they thought they were going to receive. My, my point is that this is, this is how we live. Our starting point most of the time is what will I get from this person, this relationship, from this job, from this neighborhood? What will I get from it? What will I receive from it? And if that sounds crass to you, think back over your life a little bit, how you have interacted with people, especially when things go wrong. I've said before, but I think that, that, that we are a culture of leavers, we are a society of leavers. We leave jobs. We leave neighborhoods. We leave spouses. We leave friends. All of us, every single one of us in this room has stories we could tell. And conversely, we are left. We leave and people leave us. So we have been left by parents, by mentors, by teachers, by friends. On this Father's Day, many of us, the first thought about Father's Day is about being left. And so when we begin with what we receive, what we can receive, what we can get, when that's our starting point, what can I take from this? What can I get from this? We simply feed into a culture that leaves and is left. This week I was talking with one of the leaders in our church about our church, and we were talking a little bit about this tendency to leave, both within the church but just in our culture at large. And I, I said, maybe our mission statement should just simply be, we don't leave. I realize it sounds like too cultish, you know, like <laughs> drink the Kool-Aid or something, so we're not going to change our mission anytime soon. But you get what I'm saying. Like, what does it mean to be a people who doesn't check out when things get Hard when a relationship gets tricky. What does it mean to stay? To stay until God sends, till God calls, till God scatters. We hope to be a church that does not leave one another. We hope to be a church that doesn't leave after uncomfortable conflict. We hope to be a church that does not leave God's call on our lives. And in a society that does leave, being people who stay stands out. It's noticed. It's different. Within people who have been left time and time again, a community 
who doesn't leave, regardless of the circumstances, becomes a powerful witness to the gospel. And those of us who have been left in our own lives time and time again can find healing in a community centered on Christ, a community that does not leave. Is it possible? Is it possible to stay? Is it possible to buck the trend and to not leave? Is it? I think it depends on how we answer my first question. Why are you here? If we answer this, I'm here to receive, I think we're simply feeding into this culture of leaving. But what if we answer the question differently? What if instead of being here, being at church, being a part of what's going on here, what if instead of being here to receive, we are instead here because we belong? Say belong. It's a massive difference between coming to receive and coming to belong. This is actually what we have in mind when we talk about being a fellowship of believers. Some of you will remember... We talked about fellowship a little while ago. It comes from this Greek word koinonia. Say koinonia. This is a Greek word that didn't have a lot of power in its day. It just meant to have something in common with someone. So you could have koinonia with a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. It's kind of like our day. Fellowship is not real powerful. It doesn't sound powerful, right? We're going to go down to the fellowship hall. We're going to have food, fun, and fellowship. That doesn't really excite most of us, right? It doesn't get our blood going. But you see, the New Testament authors, they take this very benign word and they infuse new power into it. Instead of fellowship being having something in common with somebody, fellowship being a shared interest with somebody, the New Testament authors, they say, no, in Christ, fellowship is a shared reality with somebody. It's not a shared interest. It's a shared reality. The church as a fellowship of believers, as a koinonia of believers. And so John, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he says this. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have what? With us. And our what? Is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. For the New Testament writers, fellowship is an objective reality, something that exists because of what Christ accomplished. It's not something that's up to you and I to establish. Oh, we have this thing in common. We both like to see this kind of movies. We both live in the same neighborhood, so we have fellowship together. No, for the New Testament authors, we have fellowship because of what Christ has accomplished for us. And we have fellowship in two different dimensions, according to John. Fellowship with God and fellowship with with each other. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. Our faith in Christ results in our inclusion with Christ, our adoption into Christ. This is important. When we say yes to Jesus, we're not giving Jesus a part of ourselves. When we say yes to Jesus, we're not saying, Jesus, come into my heart, but I'm keeping everything else for me. When we're saying yes to Jesus, we're not saying, I'm going to believe the right things about you now, 
But the rest of me is, you know, it's not as important. According to the Apostle Paul, when we say yes to Christ, when we swear our allegiance to Christ, when we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, all of us is caught up in Christ. The old, Paul says, is gone. The new has come. So that means that all of you, all of you, everything about you, everything about you, your past, your history, your future, everything about you is caught up in Christ now. Everything. Nothing is out of bounds. To be in Christ is to have our old self crucified in new life, new creation, resurrected. So hear this clearly. We come to Christ not for what we will receive, but for who he is. Did you hear that? We come to Christ not for what we will receive, but for who he is. That's hard for some of us. Because for some of us, we were told, if you say yes to Jesus, you get this, you get this, you get this, you get this. He's going to do this and this, this and this for you. And do you know what? Yes! This is what the Bible tells us. We do receive everything when we give our lives to Christ. But that's not why we come to Christ. We come to Christ because he is Lord. He is Messiah. He is Savior. He is King. That's why we come to Christ. This is, this is what the apostles say after Jesus has been resurrected. They don't say, here's all the benefits that you're going to get when you come to Christ. Let me tell you how your life is going to be great when you come to Jesus. Carla, that's not what they say. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to you again if you come to Jesus. What do they say? They say, Jesus, who you crucified, is Lord and Savior. So we say yes to Jesus, not for our benefit, not for what we will receive. We say yes to Jesus because he's king. Do you see? Do we receive from Christ? Yes. Does he change our lives? Yes. We've seen that over and over and over again. But even here, we don't start with what we receive. We start with the fact that we now belong to Christ. All of us, all of ourselves, now belong to Jesus. All of us. Everything. Your history, your past, your temptations. Everything is caught up in Christ. Your money, your home, your kids. Everything that you care about. Everything that makes you who you are. Caught up in Jesus. Included in Christ. Now hear this as well. This isn't just about you as an individual being included in Christ. This is about us. The passage we read this morning from 1 Corinthians talks about the church as a body made up of many different parts. Yes, but a body, a whole, a community. There is no individual relationship with God. There is personal relationship with God. There is intimate relationship with God. There is relationship of knowing and being known by God. But there is no such thing in the Bible as an individual relationship with God. Just me and Jesus, I'm good to go. No. 
You are caught up. You are included with everybody else who bows a knee to Jesus. It is a body that is included in Christ. Do you see? This is really important for us to understand and to see for the mission of our church. It is us in Christ. It is us in Christ. We don't do community as like something we get to eventually because it's a good idea, because it helps us feel better. We do community because it's an expression of what's true. We have been saved into Christ together. You are not a little pinky toe walking around by yourself. And that's a good thing. You've been saved into a body, into a community, into a new family, into a new temple, Paul says, that is being built, whose cornerstone is Christ Jesus. That's why it's utter nonsense for us to talk about the church as if it's a thing that exists apart from us. Like I'm talking about this thing as the church. We can't do that. The only person who can talk about the church is somebody who doesn't consider themselves a Christian. Because that's a person that says, no, I'm not included in Christ. I've not given my allegiance to Jesus. Okay, fine. You can talk about the church. But guess what? The rest of us, we can't do that. It's like chopping off your arm and then talking about your arm. It's a bad idea. There is no the church outside of us. Do you see? Do you see? The church did this. The church didn't do that. The church should do this. Stop it! Talk about us. Who has God called us to be? What has God called us to be about? What areas have we neglected? Where do we need to get our house in order? We can talk about that, amen? We can talk about who God has called us to be. We can talk about where the Holy Spirit is calling us, the work that we need to do, the growing up that we need to do. But let us never talk about the church. Am I clear about that? I'm going to tune you out if you talk to me about the church. (laughs) Just giving you a heads up. This is one of the reasons why our church takes membership so seriously. I know different ones of us come from different traditions. Membership happens in different ways, and that's fine. There's no judgment on that whatsoever. But for us, for our mission as a church, we ask that you come to a class to hear about the history of our church, to hear about the mission of our church, to hear about the covenant that we agree to together as members. Because we understand, we believe that we really are the body of Christ. It's not something we just say. So when we invite and commission new members, this is what we're doing publicly is we're saying, look, these are people who are saying yes to being the church, who are covenanting together to really live as the body of Christ in the kinds of ways that Carlos was sharing with us today, in a way that demonstrates God's love to the world, that doesn't put up walls and barriers. Consider that a little plug for membership classes coming up next month. So we have fellowship in two dimensions, with God and with each other. Paul in Galatians, in this pretty well-known passage, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, ethnicity, race. There is neither slave nor free. In that day, talking about socioeconomic class status. There is neither male nor female, gender, gender inequality. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now let's be really clear about this. Paul is not saying that ethnicity, race, socioeconomic status, and gender don't matter. He's saying that in Jesus, they just matter in a new way. You see, the the, the way that the, the culture in Paul's day used these different categories was to divide people. If you're Jewish, you stay over here. If you're Greek, you stay over here. If you're in this socioeconomic class, you have to do this. You're born into this. But if you're in this class, then you get to do this. If you're a man, you have these privileges. If you're a woman, this is what's expected. Division. Do you see? This is how it worked. It doesn't work like that for us anymore, right? Like we've totally transcended all of that. We're very enlightened modern culture. We don't have those same. Paul is not saying that these categories are no longer important. He's simply saying that they in Jesus are important in a very different way. In Jesus, these differences no longer divide us. Instead, we discover that as diverse people who have all been clothed in Christ, we actually need each other. We actually belong to one another. What we find in Jesus is that the things about people that would have caused us to leave in the past, they cannot have that same divisive power with us anymore. This is what it means to be in fellowship with one another. This is what it means to be the church together, to be a fellowship of believers, is to find that those things that used to divide us, used to push us apart, those things that we used to say, ah, I, I can't really have that conversation. I can't really be around that. Or that's just too different. That's, I don't know. That culture, that sound, that's just too... Those things no longer divide us. Instead, we find that they actually invite us in because we find that Christ is present in our differences. Do you know that? Christ is present in our differences. We actually find that as we get to know one another, our different stories, our histories, our cultures, that Christ is present there. I had this conversation with a young woman in our church this weekend, and uh, she said, uh, she said, you know, when I first started at New Community, um, she said, I, I thought, I didn't think, she said, I, I thought I respected everybody. Regardless of race, ethnicity, I thought I just, everybody kind of at the same starting point. She said, and I, and I thought pretty much everybody respected me for who I was. And she said, what I found over two years of being in this diverse community is that I didn't respect everybody equally. That this church has given me opportunity to grow in my love and respect for people who come from diff- very different places than me. Not only that, she said, I thought everybody respected me for who I am, from where I come from. And she said, what I have experienced is people growing in their respect for me, for who I am, despite the differences that I have with different people. This is what it means to be a fellowship of believers. This is how Christ is at work, is present among us. 
We don't overlook our differences. As the body of Christ, we expect to find the presence of Christ in our differences. Worship team, come on up. Let me end, let me end this way. I, I, I'm skeptical by nature. Anybody else skeptical by nature? Kevin, anybody else? Tabitha? Everybody, you guys aren't skeptical? You just like, you just kind of take whatever people? I'm skeptical by nature. And when I hear um, language about the fellowship of believers, I'm like, ah, this sounds okay in theory. <laughs> in practice, I'm skeptical. Maybe it's cynicism. I don't know. Uh, so, so, so let me share with you, again, very, very briefly, three, three of my skepticisms to thinking about the church as a fellowship of believers, those who are in fellowship with God and with one another. My first, my first pushback is that this sounds very exclusive. Like, to be a fellowship of believers, we're saying, well, these are all people who kind of believe the same thing and kind of moving in the same direction, so that sounds exclusive. Like, they're, how, how do you be hospitable? How do you welcome people in who aren't in that same place? Does that make sense to anybody? Would you, would you agree that sometimes people think churches are like that? Those who are not Christians would think that... Here's why I, I don't think that can be true for us. We are in Christ... We are in fellowship with each other, not because of anything that we have done. There's not a single one of us who gets to be the gatekeeper to this community. Do you see? Nobody gets to stand at the door and say, let me check, let me check your ID. Let me, see your, let, me see your, let me see your papers, Rebecca. Let me see your green card. We don't get to do that. Because each one of us is here because of what Christ has done for us. Not because of anything that we did. Not because of how strong, smart, wise we are, how faithful we are. We are here. We belong to the fellowship of believers because of what Christ did. And so we cannot, we cannot, we cannot be exclusive. Amen. This is what Carlos was talking about earlier. My second pushback skepticism is that uh, to be a fellowship of believers sounds um, really boring to me. I'm not saying that you all are boring people. I'm just saying it sounds boring to me. Part of that is having grown up in church and hearing that word fellowship a lot. And it was, ne- it was not exciting. People talk about coming for fellowship. Like, it's boring. It's not where the action was. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Bible tells us, and we've talked about this over and over again, that the church never exists for its own good. The church always exists for the good of the world. We do not exist for our own good. We don't do community. We don't do the fellowship of believers for our sake, for what we can get out of it. We don't do the holy huddle where we do that thing where Christians talk and they have the same kind of language. God bless you, brother. You know, we don't no. Like where non-Christians walk in, they're like, what the heck are they talking about? I don't even understand what they're saying. No, we don't do that. Why? Because we don't exist for our own good. We exist for the good of the world. But we see over and over again in the scriptures that God calls a people so that God's mission will be advanced in the world. 
our community is not an end in and of itself. Our community is a vehicle for God's mission in the world. God calling us together, the fellowship of believers, being in fellowship with one another, isn't just for us. It's to bless the world. This, this week, uh, Kalia and I met with uh, some of the leadership from Bright Star. It's a community organization in our neighborhood, and we have a couple of opportunities coming up for our church to be very involved in the life of Bronzeville. There's a huge event coming up uh, first Sunday in August called the, the Bronzeville Family Fest. And it's, it's, just a, it's just an event to bless the neighborhood. It's not like an officially Christian event. There's corporate sponsors that help pull this thing off. They give thousands of bags of groceries away at this event. There's live music. There's games for the kids to play. It's just a chance to bless the neighborhood. And Bright Star has come to us and said, Would, could you participate with us? Could you help make this happen? Could you be present to this? What was our answer going to be? We also talked about um, there's, there's two schools, two elementary schools that are located very close to the facility that we're looking at, Kennecott, two elementary schools. And the goal um, for Bright Star and for other churches in our neighborhood, the goal is to adopt every single school in Bronzeville so that every single school has a church that says that's, that's my school. That's our school. And on the first Saturday of every month, these churches gather and they pray for the administration, for the students. They gather outside of these schools in a very public way to pray for God's blessing on these schools. They get to know the principles, kind of like we've done here, the administration, figure out what the needs are of these schools so that every single school in Bronzeville is adopted by church. They said, we have two schools that we'd like you guys to adopt. Are we going to do it? A couple of you are like, uh, is that a trick question? I don't know. <laughs> but these are, these are questions for us as a church. Fellowship with believers is not for us. We don't gather for our own good. We gather so that God's mission in this world would advance, so that God's mission in Bronzeville would advance. The minute that things get boring, we've started existing for our own good. Would you agree? The minute that things get predictable, we're, we're no longer living for the good of, of others. The minute that it doesn't feel like we're calling you to risk anything, it's the minute that we've gotten off track. Would you agree? My last objection to myself, can I do that? Can I object myself? Can I find myself objectionable? Objectionable? Is that the, the, the fellowship of believers sounds very inefficient to me. Does anybody care about Efficiency? I, I do a lot. <laughs> I like getting things done quickly. And, 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 and to this objection, I, I, I haven't found a good answer. I think, we, I think it's inefficient. I think church is inefficient. I just, I do. I think the minute that, that, that church stops being inefficient, um, we cease to be fellowship believers. We start to be a business. And we're not called to be a business. We're called to be a community. A community where Christ is present and where Christ's mission is advancing among us. I had the worship team over for dinner uh, this week, Wednesday or Thursday. 
We spent about three hours or so around my table eating, talking about the worship ministry. And, and, and about halfway through, this thought in my head, this is really not efficient. But God is at work in that conversation. Community is being formed in that conversation. New leaders are rising up and being developed in this conversation. That worship team together is discerning what does God have for our team and for our church as we learn how to worship together. This is how God works. And so, so let, me, let me just invite you to belong. Let me invite you to belong to this church. For some of you, that means belonging to Christ. Not because of what you're going to get, but simply because Jesus is Lord of everything. Let me invite you to, to belong to this community. We are really not perfect. Would you agree, church? We're not perfect. We, we're figuring it out. We're very, no offense, normal people. <laughs> At our best, we're average. But we want to be a people where we belong to one another in Christ. We want to be a people who doesn't leave each other, who doesn't leave what God has called us to. We want to be a people who finds a home together as long as God calls us together. Amen? Let me, let me leave you with this. The author of Hebrews, quoting the Old Testament, he says, God says to every one of us, never have I left you. Never have I forsaken you. Never have I left you. Never have I forsaken you. We don't talk about being this kind of a church. We don't talk about not leaving each other out of our own strength, out of our own power. We have this hope. We have this vision because we have never been left by our God. Is that good news? Is that good news? Never. 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 Never has God left you. God has never forsaken you. Not for a minute. And this is what fuels us. This is what gives us hope to be a people who won't leave each other and who won't leave the call of God on our lives. Is that God has never left us. Wherever we were, whatever we were doing, whatever we were not doing, whoever we were doing it with, God has never left us. However lazy, however ignorant, however distracted we were, God has never left us. And so we have hope to be a people who do not leave each other. We have hope to actually be this fellowship of believers because we have a God who will never, ever leave us. Amen? And so we thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We thank you for not leaving us, for not forsaking us. And even more than that, we thank you that you have called us repeatedly to yourself. You don't just stand at a distance tolerating us. You call us to yourself so that the old could go away and that new life could be reborn. You call us to yourself so that we can be included among your people, your people who now can give our lives to what you're doing in this world. So God, we ask that you give us what you want to give us. We know that you are a good God who gives good, who gives good gifts. And so we, we open ourselves up to it. You know our needs, God. 
It's not wrong for us to want you to, to, to give us what we need, but let that not be our starting point today. Let, let us start today by coming to you because of who you are, worshiping you because of who you are, what you have done, what you will do. Build your church. Build your church here. Build your church around the world. And allow us in your mercy and your grace to be a part of it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I need you to survive. Worship team, thank you for leading us in worship today. Um, thank you for being with us. Again, blessings to all of you fathers. Um, uh, please come back next week. Michelle Dodson is going to be uh, preaching on the presence of the Holy Spirit and our dependence on the Holy Spirit. You will not want to miss that sermon. Please invite some friends, uh, especially those who aren't sure about the Holy Spirit, the the third member of the Trinity. Invite them to come um, to be present for that sermon. Now receive the benediction. Holy Spirit, send us out now as people who belong to you and and who belong to one another. Send us out not as isolated individuals who have to face this world alone, but as people who belong, belong, belong to our God, who belong to you together. So continue forming us into the people you've called us to be. Continue to heal our brokenness. Continue to call and to send us to what you've given us to do. Continue to put the gospel on our lips and in our actions as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.